0: Welcome to the Zenith Law Academy podcast, the podcast that provides content creators and other internet businesses with practical legal information and tips to help you protect and scale up your business. And now here's your host, Credence Fogo Soul. Hi, and welcome to the second episode of Law Academy podcast. I'm your host, Credence Fogasol. As you may or may not know, I've been a lawyer and legal educator for 25 years, and now I'm here to help content creators and other people who have internet businesses to make sense of the law as it applies to them. This week's episode focuses on the incredibly important process of setting up a legal business plan. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, also, you can visit our website at www.zenithlawacademy.com and join our mailing list to receive freebies and special offers. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can join the Facebook group for more discussion of today's topic. And now, without further ado, let's talk legal business planning. This is part one of a two-part episode. It's actually the second time I have recorded this episode. Well, it's the fifth time I've recorded this episode, if you count the number of times I had to stop because the dog was barking. But in any event, when I originally recorded this episode, it came in at more than an hour long because that seemed a little bit daunting. But because it's all really important information, what I decided to do instead of just cutting the whole thing down was I split it into two episodes. This first episode, part one, focuses on what a legal business plan is what kinds of decisions you need to make to start putting together your legal business plan, what you need to think about when choosing the type of business entity you're going to create, taxation and licensing issues and an introduction to what you need to know if you think you're going to hire employees either now or in the future now we may actually do individual episodes uh, going into more depth about all these issues uh, later on in the season or in future seasons but for now consider this an introduction to the essential things that you need to know okay moving on most beginning entrepreneurs know that it's really important to create a business plan to give their business focus and direction and to permit them to make financial forecasts because we want to make money right right business educators tell us that a business complaint that a business plan has 12 components or it has eight or eleven, or five, or some other number. Most of these components relate to defining the market and your competition, uh, to making sales and cash flow forecasts, to drafting the marketing and advertising plan, and other issues that ultimately go to your firm's projected profit- profitability. In general, the number of components that you're going to include are in your business plan are that's related to the complexity of the business, its size, the number of employees you think you're going to have, and whether you're going to need financing, among other things. That said, most of the articles on business plans, um, along with business plan templates that you'll find online as a new entrepreneur, they omit the critical issue of what you need to do from the beginning to ensure that your business is not merely compliant with the law but also uses the law to optimize its assets. In other words, um, although legal planning is not typically a part of a business plan, the smart entrepreneur will incorporate legal planning into their business plan so that they can maximize the likelihood of the long-term success and so they can minimize the likelihood of getting into trouble. Okay, legal planning is a valuable component of our business plan because it's, it's in your legal business plan where you identify potential legal risks, obligations, things you need to remember to stay in compliance, uh, and opportunities. For the remainder of this episode, I'll take you through various issues that although they are legal in nature, should be part of your business plan. Or I'll take you through half of those issues and we'll we'll go through the other half next week. Okay, so the first thing that we need to think about when we're putting together a a legal business plan uh, relates to business formation issues. Now, when we talk about business formation issues, what we are primarily talking about is the type of business entity that you are going to choose. But not everybody knows what we mean when we say business entity. Now, what it means when I say you need to choose your business entity or, or your business form is that you're very, one of your very first decisions when you're creating a business, when you've decided to take that idea and turn it into a reality that makes you money, um, is that you need to decide whether you're going to be a sole trader running things on your own, a freelancer getting work from other people or businesses, a partnership, a corporation, or a limited liability company. Now your decision about which type of entity to use, and and really about whether you plan to create a business entity at all, um, that decision is going to have really long lasting consequences for how you are allowed to govern your company and how you will pay taxes because you will be paying taxes. The decision is also going to affect your personal liability if the business is ever sued. So choosing your entity should be the first section of your legal business plan. Now, the first thing you're going to need to do if to to, to make this, this decision, of course, is to make sure that you understand what the possibilities are. So I want to take you very briefly through the, fr- through the five most common types of for-profit business entities. So here we go. Option number one, you can decide not to create an ent- entity at all and just have your operations take the form of a sole proprietorship, also known in the UK and some other countries in the Anglosphere as being a sole trader. I'll call it a sole proprietorship. To create a sole proprietorship, you actually don't really have to do anything. Just launch your business and go. You are the sole owner and you are personally responsible for all aspects of the business. And this is where it can be dangerous to have a sole proprietorship. It's attractive at the beginning because... There's no paperwork, there's no lawyers, there's no costs. You just boom, I'm in business. However, if you were to be sued for something that happened in the course of your business, whether it's um, a, a bill that's not paid or a product that injures somebody, or even somebody comes into your place of business and oops, slips and falls. Um, if you get sued for, for something like that, if your business gets sued and you don't have an entity, you just have a sole proprietorship, then you are personally liable. So if you lose that lawsuit and a judgment is entered, the plaintiff can seek to have that judgment satisfied, meaning to get their money, using your personal assets, including not only the money in your bank account, but also your personal property, like if you have a valuable car, um, and often real property. That's why a sole proprietorship is not a great idea. So that's sole proprietorships. Number two, you can create a partnership if you want to be in business with somebody else. Now, there are two types of partnerships. The first type of partnership is a general partnership. That's the kind of partnership that most people think of when you say the word partnership. In a general partnership, you have a business partner or more than once. There's, you know, it's you and your business partner or you and several business partners. And the members of the partnership are equally responsible for the business and for its liabilities. Alternatively, you can have what's called a limited partnership in which there is a general partner who is responsible for liabilities, meaning if the business gets sued, that general partner can be on the hook. Um, So you have a general partner and then you have limited partners along with the general partner. Um, And those limited partners uh, may be involved in the business or they may simply be investing, but they don't have personal liability. So those are the two types of partnerships. Your third option, number three, you could do a limited liability company, also known as an LLC. Almost everybody has heard of an LLC, but far fewer people know what it actually is. So I'm going to give you a very brief explanation. An LLC is kind of a hybrid. In some ways, it's treated like a partnership. And in other ways, it's treated like a corporation. In most jurisdictions, it's possible to have an LLC with just one member. That would be called a single member LLC. In any event, the basic way that an LLC works is that it provides personal liability for its members, AKA its owners while providing pass-through taxation, meaning profits and losses are reported on the individual member's tax returns and they're, they're not taxed twice. Okay, so that's, uh, that's what an LLC is. Number four, you could create a corporation, although this is probably best reserved for larger companies. A C corporation is a separate legal entity from its owners and it provides the owners with limited liability protection. For example, if you own a share of stock in a C corporation and most really big businesses are C corporations, and if you're a stock, if you're a stockholder, um, then you are technically an owner, even though you may only own a teeny, teeny, tiny piece of that corporation, Um, but you have liability protection. So if I'm a shareholder in Microsoft, for example, and Microsoft gets sued for doing something horrible, the plaintiff is not going to be able to come after me, Ms. Shareholder, uh, to satisfy her judgment. So you get liability protection. If you are an owner of a, if you're an owner, a shareholder of a C corporation, C corporations have a relatively complex structure and they are subject to double taxation. And what that means is if you have a C corporation makes a profit, which is what we want, right? Uh, the profits are taxed at the corporate level. And then when what's left is is distributed to the shareholders, then those profits are taxed again on the individual shareholders tax returns. Uh, Because of this tax issue, um, along with the complexity involved with this type of entity, a C corporation is not chosen very often by new internet creators. It's just, it's, it's more trouble than it's worth. If you do wanna do a corporation for a company that's on the smaller side, Instead of doing a C-corporation, you usually create an S-corporation. An S-corporation is similar to a C-corporation, and I know, why do they call it S-corporation and a C-corporation? These are the IRS terms for these types of entities. In any event, an S-corporation is similar to a C-corporation in terms of its structure, but an S-corporation has passed through taxation like an LLC. In other words, you, you don't have this double taxation issue. Um, so if you decide that you want to do an S corporation, what I would urge you to do would be to seek legal counsel before you do so. Um, because one of the catches to having an S corporation is that there are certain ownership restrictions. Um, and in addition, there are various filing and paperwork requirements that have to be fulfilled if you want to maintain your S corporation status. So those are the most common types of entities that you'd be choosing from. But how do you decide? How do you decide? I mean, I've just thrown a bunch of terms at you and like, what do you do with that? Well, there are a bunch of factors that go into your choice of entity. And here's what they are. Number one, consider your business goals. Consider your business goals, both short-term And long-term, different types of entities have different advantages and disadvantages. For example, the number of owners and decision-makers who are involved and the advantages and and disadvantages of different types of entities relative to your business's short and long-term goals um, may have an impact on which entity you choose. Number two, consider the issue of liability. What happens if your business is sued for a copyright violation, a breach of contract, a slip and fall? What happens? What happens if you're selling products from your website and somebody says that they got hurt? If your business is high risk in terms of potentially being sued, and you want to shield your personal assets and your funds from lawsuits and any debts that the business might accrue, then you are not going to want to be a sole proprietor, a sole proprietor, um, or a general partner. You are going to want to use a corporation or an LLC. Okay. Third consideration: taxes. Um, the third thing I was going to say, well, the third, the third thing you need to do is you need to think about taxes, but actually that's not great advice. Here's better advice. Consult a tax accountant to walk you through how the different entities in your, are taxed in your jurisdiction. And remember, you're going to be paying not just federal taxes, but also state taxes. And in some cases, county and local taxes, uh, for your business. So you need a local tax accountant to give you or to sell you uh, an hour of their time to walk you through how the different entities in your jurisdiction are taxed uh, and the impact of that taxation regime on your business finances and your personal finances. C-corporations, for example, and as I noted earlier, are subject to double taxation. Um, So before you choose an entity, it's really important to make sure that you understand its potential tax liabilities. Okay, fourth thing to consider. Think about what type of ownership and management structure you want. Do you not want to have to deal with a board of directors? If you don't want to deal with a board of directors, a corporation probably is not for you. Do you want to share the benefits and the burdens of your business with another person? If so, you might want to be a partnership or create an LLC and so on. Fifth consideration when choosing an entity. You should be aware that some entities require more paperwork than others, and and that and, and when I say that some entities require more paperwork than others, I'm not just referring to the paperwork that's involved in setting up the entity in the first place, because. Many types of business entities have ongoing reporting obligations to the state. Now, if paperwork is something that it sounds like you can't do or you won't do, or you can't or won't hire somebody to do, then you are going to be stuck with one of the simpler entity forms such as a sole proprietorship. Sixth consideration. You should think about whether you might be interested down the line in growing the business through seeking financing. It is easier to raise funds when you have a corporation because you can sell stock. In addition, having an entity and really any kind of entity that is not a sole proprietorship that may increase your credibility if you need to go to a bank to obtain a loan. It's just going be very difficult to get any kind of loan-based financing if you're just a, if you're just a sole proprietor. Seventh and final consideration when you are choosing your entity is that you may wish to consider whether the entity. That you choose can be converted into a different type of into a different kind of entity at a later date as your business grows and its needs and goals change. You should consult with local counsel on this issue if it's something that concerns you, because not all states have the same rules. Okay, so those are the things that you should consider when you're deciding which business entity you're going to use. So to wrap things up on the choice of entity for you, I just want you to understand that choosing the right business entity is really dependent on your unique circumstances. You need to evaluate all the factors we've just discussed in light of your business context and your jurisdiction so that you can make an informed decision. Okay, so now we've talked about choosing a business entity. Um, all that said, and I guess I did say a lot about it, uh, choosing your entity is just one step in the process of forming your business. There are lots of formation issues that don't involve the choice of entity or, or really that, that come you know, after you're done with your choice of entity. And we'll turn to those issues now. Uh, for the most part, the, the remaining formation issues, as opposed to legal issues that you need to to think about while you're operating the business, so we're, we're still in the formation phase right now. Um, and for the most part, once you've chosen the entity, the remaining formation issues that you need to deal with involve the kinds of licenses and permits that you might need to obtain. Um, And the types of licenses and permits that you need are going to depend on your location, on the place where you're doing the work, meaning like, are you at home? Are you in a warehouse? Are you in office space? Whatever. Um, And what kind of business you're operating. A good legal business plan will explore these issues and create an action plan to get them out of the way. I'm gonna give you a short list of some of the most common types of licenses and per- permits that you might need. You need a business license. You're almost always gonna need a business license. Most businesses need a just what's a gen- called a general business license. And usually, in most situations, you would get your business license from the county or city government. In some states, but not all, you also need a state level business license. Okay. You also need a federal employer ID number. This is also called a tax ID number, and it's also called an EIN, EIN standing for employer ID number. You have to have this number to pay taxes if you're a corporation or a partnership. And you need it, you're going to need it if you're going to have any employees because you're going to have to use it to pay uh, when you pay the various payroll taxes. I mean, think of an EIN as kind of like a social security number for your business uh, because you're primarily going to be using it uh, when you deal with the tax man. Okay, next thing you may or may not need. I mean, you're always going to need an an employer ID number because you're going to be paying taxes. You're always going to need a business license. Uh, The third permit that may come up, and this one is not for everybody, is a sales tax permit. If you're selling taxable goods or services, you need to check with the state tax authorities to obtain a sales tax permit. By doing that, uh, when you make sales, you will be able to collect the sales taxes as you are required to do and forward them on to the state tax authorities. Enough about sales tax permits. Finally, You may need a home occupation permit or even a zoning clearance. Hopefully not, but it's a possibility. If you're running your business out of your house, you may or may not need to have a special permit. Usually this is within the purview of the county authorities. Um, So you can when you go to get your general business license, you can ask if you need any additional type of permit or permission for running your business out of your home. Um, And also you want to check with the city to make sure that your business activities are not violating any local zoning laws. These issues used to be a very big deal before COVID. Um, They are not so widely required since that time, but you still need to check because it's really uh, usually going to be a function of what type of business you are engaged in. Okay, so home occupation permit or zoning clearance, maybe you need it, maybe you don't. Okay, although obtaining information about these licenses and permits can seem somewhat overwhelming, most states have business development agencies that can provide you with guidance about navigating licensing issues and can help you catch any little uh, requirements that might be unique to your jurisdiction. Um, The Small Business Administration, which is a federal agency, can also provide information. In my experience, the SBA typically kicks you back to your state business development agency, but it's worth taking a look. Okay, so that is all we're gonna talk about today with respect to licensing and permits. So at this point, let's pretend that you're actually busily putting together your legal business plan as we're going along. Uh, What you've done so far is you've chosen your entity and you have all of your ducks in a row in terms of your licensing, your permits, and your tax registration. It's time to get started with the fun stuff, right, the money-making, right? Wrong. Um, If you're planning on hiring, well, May be wrong. Um, if you're planning on hiring any employees to help you out, there are some additional issues that you need to consider and incorporate into your legal business plan. More specifically, if you intend to, for example, employ an assistant, you will have to comply with various government requirements ranging from paying the minimum wage to maintaining workers' compensation insurance to paying social charges, also known as payroll taxes, like requirement, required retirement contributions, um, the, the employer's share of the social security tax, and so on. Furthermore, even though American employees are generally considered to be employees at will, and this, this is true if you live in any state except Montana, just FYI, uh, at any rate, even uh, American employees are generally at will. And what that means is that they can be fired at any time for almost any reason. Um, other countries often have much stricter laws about how to terminate an employee. You have to be familiar with these laws before you hire your first worker. Trust me, it will solve you. It will save you from a world of pain. Now, although employment law is its own specialty, um, it's, it's, it's such a rich area of the law that if you are a law student, you can actually take several semesters of employment law-related courses, I should know because I've taught a bunch of them, including both employment law and employment discrimination law under both American law and English law. Um, So employment law is pretty rich and complex. Um, But for today's purposes, we're not gonna do four semesters of employment law. I'm just gonna give you like a 10-minute overview of the most, maybe not even 10 minutes, a short, a quick overview of some of the most important laws and issues that you need to consider. So let's get started you need to consider the issue of equal employment laws like you don't need to sit down and do a philosophical examination of them but i'd like you to know that they exist and you need to obey them in other words don't discriminate based on race color religion sex national origin age disability or and this one is a surprise to people genetic information many states also bar discrimination based on sexual orientation And a few others even bar discrimination based on off-the-job activities like smoking or engaging in extreme sports. So make sure that you understand and are prepared to comply with equal employment laws. The next set of employment-related laws that you need to be aware of and comply with are wage and hour laws, uh, aka the Fair Labor Standards Act. Now, there is a federal minimum wage, um, but many states have a minimum wage that is higher than the federal minimum wage. And some municipalities have a minimum wage that is even higher than the state's minimum wage. So you need to familiarize yourself with what the minimum wage really is in your location. You also, for purposes of complying with the wage and hour laws, you need to understand the difference between exempt employees and non-exempt employees. What the heck does that mean? Well, an exempt employee um, is an employee, usually some sort of supervisor or manager, uh, who is not entitled to be paid overtime, meaning no time and a half, no double time, um, if they work more than 40 hours a week as a new business owner, you're probably not gonna have any exempt employees. I mean, basically you're the exempt employee, congratulations. Um, So that's what an exempt employee is, but you also need to understand um, the difference between those employees and non-exempt employees. Non-exempt employees are people who are eligible for for overtime. Um, Generally, they are people who are paid hourly, um they're generally not salaried employees although there are some salaried employees depending on how low the salary is who may be eligible for overtime so you need to make sure that if you want an employee who is Uh, exempt that you're complying with all of the requirements of your jurisdiction. But most of the time for a new business that's going to be hiring somebody like an assistant or somebody of that nature, you're probably going to have a non-exempt employee on your hands. And so if you end up having them work long hours, uh, you may end up having to pay them overtime. Okay, so wage and hour laws. Next, medical leave. Now, as a new business, the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act, which provides unpaid medical leave for people who have medical conditions uh, or who need to be caretakers for family members um, with medical issues, uh, that law is probably not going to apply to you at first um, because the federal FMLA only applies to uh, companies that have at least 50 employees, However, here's the catch, some states, many states, have laws that are exactly like the FMLA, except they apply to smaller businesses. So make sure that you check the law in your state and you know your obligations in this regard. You do not wanna get in trouble for denying somebody a, a medical leave that they are legally entitled to. Okay, so that's medical leave. Next, let's talk about immigration laws and we're just gonna talk about it very briefly. Uh, the, The short version of what you need to know about American immigration law as a small business owner is that your employees need to be legally authorized to work in the U.S. And in order to comply with your responsibilities in this regard, you likely are going to be required to complete what is known as an I-9 form. uh, When you bring somebody on board, you've probably filled out these I-9 forms yourself. I know I have. Um, Basically, the what these forms are is that, you know, on your first day at the job, or maybe after you've been hired, the employer says, you know, I need to see like your social security card or or you know passport or some form of ID that that um, shows that you are legally um permitted to work in the u s. Now, something that has changed since the last time I had a regular w two job is that, um in recent years, certain states have been issuing driver's licenses. To people who are undocumented and who actually do not have the legal right to work in the US. Um, so you need to check and see if your state is one of those states, because if it is, then it is, then you are probably not going to be able to fill out that I-9 form just using a driver's license for your state. So just make sure that whatever documentation that you use to fill out that I-9 form actually does indicate that the person who you're gonna hire is legal to work in the United States. So that's immigration laws. Next, the next thing you need to consider when you are about to hire employees is the issue of workers' compensation insurance. Uh, Depending on your business, your state may require you to carry workers' compensation insurance so that if your employees injured on the job, they can be appropriately compensated. Workers' compensation insurance is also an incredibly complex area of the law. So I think that that's that's where we're going to stop in terms of uh, the the details of workers' comp law. The, the point that I want you to take away is get workers' comp insurance. It's cheap, and it's almost always required. Okay, so moving on, let's talk about employment contracts. Now, employment contracts are not required. Um, in the American system, if you live in America, if you live in California, New York, whatever, you want to hire some assistant, you're not required to give that person an employment contract. Um, although, if you've ever lived or, or if you've ever lived or worked or studied in another country, you probably know that employment contracts are very common in other countries. Um, as I noted a few minutes ago, America has at will employment, except in Montana, uh, which generally means that you can fire somebody for any reason at all. You know i don't like the green tie you wore today right like you can fire somebody for that stupid but you can um you can fire somebody for any reason or for no reason as long as you're not discriminated against them um and as long as you're not uh doing something like retaliating against them for whistleblowing right for like reporting some sort of environmental violation or something of that nature but most of the time you can just fire people whenever you want um And for that reason, I would caution you to be really careful about employment contracts. They're generally not a good idea for employers because they may give your employees a lot more rights against you than they would have had otherwise. But if you want to do one, and I don't think you should, but if you do, make sure that it contains the terms and conditions of the employment, including duties, compensation, benefits, and sometimes termination procedures. So that's employment contracts. It only takes a minute to talk about because the vast majority of Americans, unless you are a union member, which is probably not going to be the case for your new internet business, uh, but unless you're a union member, you know, an NFL quarterback or a CEO, you're probably not going to have an, an employment contract. Okay, um, let's move on. Anti discrimination and harassment policies. You will want to have them if you have any if you, if you have any employees. You want to have anti-discrimination harassment policies in place. Um, often you can actually just get like little pre-made posters that you, can, that you can order and, you know, you post them in the break room or that kind of thing that, that, that informs your employees about their right not to be discriminated against, not to be harassed, and what to do if they are discriminated against or harassed. So you need to have these policies and you need to make sure that your employees are aware of them. Next, an even more subject, an even more fun subject, tax withholding. Tax withholding, you need to think about tax withholding if you are going to have employees. Uh, Rule number one of taxes, the tax man always gets his money. Rule number two, if you make it difficult for the tax man to get his money, life is going to become even more difficult for you. So make sure you understand what your responsibilities are with the city, county, state, and federal government in terms of withholding employee taxes reporting their income and remitting their payroll taxes. So that's, that's taxation and we're not done yet. The next issue I want you to consider before you hire an employee relates to privacy laws. There are state and federal laws that protect employee privacy particularly with respect to their personal information because when you hire an employee I mean if you've ever been an employee you know you fill out all these forms with your your home address with your social security number maybe with your bank information if you're being paid by direct deposit which everybody is these days uh and so on and so forth um so as an employer you're going to have a lot of your employees sensitive personal information and so you need to respect the law that protects their privacy. Make sure that you're aware of the local laws that apply to you and make sure that you have a protocol in place to protect your employees' private information. It could be something as simple as keeping those forms in a locked drawer, but make sure that you do have a system in place. On a similar note, record keeping. Record keeping is something you need to think about before you hire employees. Both federal and state law require you to maintain accurate records of your employee information, uh, their pay, and the hours that they worked. So make sure that you have a system in place to create and maintain those records. Okay, two more to go. I know this has been a very long list, but it's a complicated thing hiring employees. Okay, next next issue that I want to address with you, and this might not apply to all of you, but it's something I think that everybody should think about, and that is background checks. Sometimes we want to do a background check on prospective employees. We want to know if they have a criminal record or something of that nature. For example, if you run a business involving children, or if you run your business from home and you have children yourself, so your kids are running around the house and you have this person who, you know, you never met before in your house all the time, you might want to do a background check just to be on the safe side, just to put your mind at ease. Um, now, the Federal Fair Credit Reporting Act regulates background checks at the federal level. Um, and many states place limits on uh, how intrusive a background check can be. So, make sure that you check the rules in your jurisdiction um, before you launch that background check. Okay. Final issue to think about when you are going to hire employees, employee benefits. State law is going to determine what types of benefits you are required to provide to your employees, especially with respect to paid time off and sick time. For example, paid time off. That's what we used to call vacation time, right? Now we call it paid time off. Um, In some states, the way that paid time off can work and this is more advantageous to employers is that you know you might say well employee you earn eight hours of paid time off for each month that you're in employment but you have, it's it's use it or lose it. If you don't use it by December 31st, then it goes back down to zero on January 1st and you start over. In some states, that's actually illegal. And and you have, uh, California is a good example. Um, you're not allowed to play use it or lose it with paid time off. Um, and so the person's paid time off just continues to accumulate. Now, if you're a nice employer and, you know your employees have time to take vacations and things like that, this isn't really gonna be a huge issue for you. However, um, if you run the kind of business that, oh, maybe like some of the law firms that I used to work at, where you are never able to have time to take a vacation and you finally burn out after three years and quit, not that I know anybody who that happened to, Um, but, you know, you'd say you've got like three years, four years, whatever, of like all this PTO that's accrued. When you quit or get fired or, you know, whoever it is that you end up leaving, um, the employer has to cut you a check for all of that PTO that you didn't use. Make sure that you understand what type of jurisdiction you are in, okay? So it's important to include considerations of all of these issues in your legal business plan um, and to double check with the appropriate authorities or state agencies to make sure that you're compliant. Now, many people, too many people live by the motto with respect to things like, you know, compliance with, Tricky little obscure state laws, it is easier to ask forgiveness than permission. However, that motto can quickly lead you astray where the government is concerned. So I cannot urge you strongly enough to make sure that you are doing things right from the get go. Okay, so. That brings us to the end of part one of this two-part episode on legal business planning. Tune in next week for the conclusion of this episode in which we're going to discuss legal issues that you need to understand before hiring an independent contractor, uh, how how to uh, put together your legal crisis plan, why you need to do an intellectual property audit of yourself, and so much more. In addition, I want you to know that we are going to be offering a free legal business planning guide to to guide you through this process. So please go to the please check back on our Instagram and Facebook um, and get signed up there so that you'll be notified once that guide is available um, or go to our website to download it directly once it's available or to get on the mailing list so we can let you know. Okay, if you like what you've heard today, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at at zenithlawacademy. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, which is also called Zenith Law Academy. Also, please don't forget that this podcast provides legal education and knowledge and a few opinions, not legal advice and not legal representation. To keep you up, to keep up to date on the legal issues that are going to increase your business savvy and your business's value, tune into our next episode which is creatively titled Legal Business Planning Part 2. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Zenith Law Academy podcast. Please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to receive notifications every time a new podcast is posted. Please note that the information provided on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not create an attorney-client relationship. For more information, blog posts, or to contact the show, please visit www.zenithlawacademy.com.